0: In our city. Denver is hosting its 46th annual Pride Parade. It's the longest running Pride Parade in the Western Hemisphere. It's the it's 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 the largest west of the Mississippi. And a whole portion of our city is celebrating. And yet, for some reason, God's people come into the house of the Lord, and we look like we have nothing to celebrate. And I don't know about you, but but never will the rocks cry out in my place. I won't let anybody else shout louder than me. I won't let anybody else dance harder than me. I won't let anyone else celebrate more than I celebrate, because I serve the one true and living God. He died and rose, and when he got up, I got up too. Now that's worth celebrating. Are y'all with me, church? See, and when you see it like that, you can say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Here I am, here I am, have it all, amen. I know I pushed you a little early. You said, it's summer, it's hot, I'm on vacation. Why all the yelling? We come today to celebrate the Lord, to gather together to worship, to give of our time, our attention, our talents, our treasure, to seek him. And it's my earnest desire that you would encounter him afresh today. And so I always push. I'll always push. I'll always push. Because I don't want you to get so familiar with the house of God, so familiar with the presence of God, that you miss the person of God, the fact that he loves you and is here today. Amen. Would you do me a favor all over the room? Would you just throw your hands up in a posture of submission, a posture of victory, a posture of surrender. Heavenly Father, we say to you today, yes to your will yes to your way we cancel out everything that was on our life this week we lay it down we shake it off we get rid of it we say we came today to receive from you afresh to see you to know you to love you to be known by you to be loved by you in jesus name all that agreed said amen amen Amen. while your hands are up high five your neighbor say welcome to beacon you may be seated all over the room worship team thank you so much we love you you may be seated Good morning, y'all. Welcome to Beacon. So glad that you're here and so many of you planned ahead and didn't get trapped in the traffic. I'm glad that, that it didn't hold you back. I'm so excited to be able to do church here on Colfax Avenue. If you're new to Beacon, today's your first day. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart as a member of our team and a servant in the house, we love you and you're welcome here. We won't make you stand up or do a dance or give a full testimony, but we won't stop you either. Amen. I'm so excited to be able to continue to worship and do all that we do here in the heart of downtown Denver. My name is CB. I'm a member of the team here and just blessed to be a part of it. I've got a couple announcements for you. We're going to dive into the Word today. I've got someone to celebrate uniquely as well. Um, And actually, I think I'm going to do that first. Um, It's our custom here at Beacon every month to celebrate one person who serves in excellence. And um, this month... It's just so plain to see uh, who our beacon of the month is. So um, I I wonder if you just help me thank God with a round of applause as I welcome to the stage my dear friend Maxwell Brake. Maxwell, would you come up here, man? Come on, come on, come on. Maxwell. Where is he at? He's here. I told him. He's hot. Maxwell, no, literally come up here. There it is, there it is. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come all the way up, front and center. I, I called his name and he just said, nope, no. No. I'm like, Man, don't be mean to your pastor like that when he said, there he is, Maxwell. One more time, give him a hand. Hey. Hey. Maxwell. I don't know any other church that gives out trophies, but I'm a fan of ours. This trophy says Beacon of the Month. It's a a recognition of your heart, of your selfless service, of the way that you care for us. See, many of y'all may not know, but Maxwell serves on two of the hardest teams in our church. He comes early, 7 a.m. He sets up that curtain in the back. Amen. Amen. And once he's good and sweaty and that curtain's set up, most Sundays he then drives across town to pick up his daughter. And then he returns. And then some days he serves on the safety team. Some days he serves on the teardown team. But all days he serves. Amen. And I have never seen anything deter you from serving in our house. So, this is yours to keep. And a gift just from me to you to tell you I love you. Amen. Stay right here. Do me a favor. Stretch out your hands to my friend today. We're going to pray a special blessing over Maxwell. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this your son, our colleague, friend, and brother. He cares for us deeply. We've watched you change his life, grow him into a fantastic, awe-inspiring man. We're grateful for him. Father, I ask that you'd refill his cup. You continue to pour out favor and glory and honor and Power and love and grace upon his life. God, I ask that you'd hear the cries of his heart and that you'd be ready to answer. In Jesus' name, all that agreed said amen and amen. One more time for my friend Maxwell. I love you, I love you, love you, love you. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming up. It's true, every time we pick a beacon of the month, I always like to pick someone who does not like the attention. Isn't that funny? We've picked a few people who've run up here, cartwheeled up, but most love to serve. It's part of the ethos of our church, an earnest desire to care without recognition, to serve selflessly and to love others. Amen? I want to share with you one more piece of the ethos. Over the last several weeks, I've been walking through what we call at Beacon, our seven cultural distinctives. I shared with you some of the, the seven ways in which we believe God's uniquely made us to be who we are, the things that separate us from the world and set us apart from the community of faith that make Beacon Beacon. And today is our final one. I was going to share it with you last week, but um, I thought it was more appropriate to share it this week. At the end of the message last week, we, we talked about fathers and fatherhood and the importance of men, God's divine plan for men. I shared with you that. God often calls fathers specifically to call their children to urgency. You remember at the end of the message, we talked about the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, and at the very end, saying to him, come quickly, I don't have much time left, come and see me. It's a perfect picture of urgency, one of the cultural distinctives here. I want to read for you um, a passage from John, chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 real quick for you. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" And Jesus answered, "It was not this man or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him." Verse 4, watch this. "We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming." When no one can work, for as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said, go wash in the pool. And he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Many of you know this story. I love this story. Uh, One day we'll do an illustrated sermon of this story and I'll be looking for volunteers. But I think the best part about this... It's Jesus' push to his disciples towards urgency. You see, when encountering someone in need, his disciples do what so many of us are prone to do, which is quibble, squabble, argue, fuss, and fight, and talk about non-essentials. They're trying to get to the the understanding rather than meeting the need. They say, who sinned, this man or, or his parents? And Jesus says, in paraphrase, hush. That's not what we're doing. He's in need, and we need to help him now. This is the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus and that he, what he shares with the disciples and on down through the history of our church, which is when people are in need, we don't wait. We don't waste time, and we're not here to argue about whether or not it will be effective. We're here to love and to care and to serve and to meet need right where it is. Amen? Jesus calls us to a place of urgency, and at this church, we believe that we're uniquely on a mission and that time is short. I want to tell you this right now. There's someone in your life who needs to hear from you right now. I don't want you to wait and think, you know, it's busy. You know, last time I talked to him, it didn't really work out. I want you to understand that now is the time to touch base. Now is the time to care. Now is the time to take action because we don't always have tomorrow. And in our church, we want to be urgent in the way that we care for each other. And the way that we do this is by encouraging each other to do it together. And when we struggle, we remind each other, let's run together. We call each other together to say, run with me. Come with me. Let's do this work now, today. Let's not waste. Amen? Amen. I believe in the power of urgency and the power of now because I believe that when we take action quickly, God gets glory immediately. Amen? Amen. Those are our seven distinctives. That's our last one. We're going to continue to teach this over the next several months and uh, pouring this into our leaders and our servants, service teams so that we can continue to grow in many of these areas. And so if you're the kind of person that procrastinates or likes to wait, it's going to get real hairy for you over the course of the summer. Amen? Amen. Are you all with me? All right, let me give you a couple announcements and then we'll jump right into our uh, a message. I just have two quick things for you because I was going to tell you about the Hearthstone Women's Ministry and their, their whitewater rafting trip. Amen? Amen. Which is awesome, I know. See, you missed it. You go on vacation and then you don't even, I'm telling you. Next one. The women's ministry is relaunching this summer with a whitewater rafting trip on July 1st, which I just think is the baddest to the bone of the ideas. And I was going to invite you ladies to hurry up and register, but it's sold out. Already sold out. And so, amen. Amen. I'm excited for that because it means that our ladies are being urgent. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what God continues to do. So, ladies, you missed it this time, but next month we're going to have another adventure. And uh, I'm going to challenge all of our fellas that if the ladies are going whitewater rafting, we need something equally or more dangerous in Jesus' name. <laughs> Sign me up, right? A couple of the members of our safety team shoot guns for a hobby. Let's go. What's that? No, that's true. Some of us have a criminal background, so. I'm in the right church. I know I'm home. But like, don't forget about all the times you've been arrested. Right, yes. Anyway, moving on. Let's jump in. Let me remind you, uh, the best way to stay connected here at the house is to get our app. It's the easiest way for you to register for events or give, join a small group, sign up for a service team. You can submit a prayer request. You can even ask me to record a video message to invite one of your friends to church. There is nothing more alarming than my big white head on their screen in a text message unannounced. But we've been doing it and people have been coming. Amen. And then the last thing is if you ever want time with a pastor, it's my distinct pleasure to meet with you. In the app, you can set a meeting with me. I meet at uh, Hooked on Colfax on Tuesday afternoons. You just pick a spot that works for you on the calendar. And then you and I sit down and we dream together and pray together and do life together. Amen? Amen. Also on the app, you can, you can give. And um, we believe at the church that Jesus established. Generosity is part of who we are. Jesus teaches. On generosity. The Bible is clear on giving and everything that you see that we do here is not due to some anonymous benefactor, come on somebody, though I believe that day may be coming. No, everything that we do, including pay the lease here and buy the equipment here and provide for the outreach and the adult ministries and the student ministries that we just relaunched yesterday, including paying the pastors of our, our team That's all provided by you. It all comes from you. And it's my desire that you would join God in this mission. We believe God's doing something mighty in our city. We continue to get to have church on Colfax Avenue. Amen. And we get to really celebrate something mighty, and so we're going to need your help. So there should be s- several ways you can give online. You can give in the app. You can give on the website. You can even text to give by putting the number of the amount of money that you want to give and sending it to the text message, 84321, that's the number. And you can also give in the uh, clear offering bucket on your way out. Everything that you give is tax deductible or a 501c3 in good standing with the IRS. We have a good old-fashioned board that oversees our spending and an outside bookkeeper who keeps tabs on all of it. This is good ground, amen? Amen. Amen. Some people just think it all goes to the pastor's bank account. Did you know that? I had some people be like, well, why don't you just use the church's money? And I'm like, whoa. Because it's the church's money, that's why. It ain't mine. I'm afraid of God, just so we're all clear. I'm not trying. Amen. Let me pray over your giving today and then we'll transition. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you. Thanks for letting us be the church. Thank you for calling us and and, and gathering us and building us together. Now, Father, we want to join you in that mission through the obedience of our finances, our generous giving to the house. God, we ask that as we sow seed today, sow seed this week, sow seed every month, that you would take it and multiply it, that it would be a seed from us. But when it goes into your ground, you'd water it, you'd bring light to it, you'd multiply it. And bear much fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. How many of you all have your Bible? Say yeah. Yeah. All right. You hear me joke about this all the time, but I'm going to push you for real this time. I always say, who has a paper Bible? Right? You all hear me? All my paper Bibles, grab your Bible and just put it in the air. And what do I always say? If you have a paper Bible, you're going to heaven. (laughs) I say that and you laugh. You need more light? Can we turn the house just up just a touch? All right. But I am going to push you. I love having the the Bible app on my phone. It's easy, quick, fun, wonderful. A great way to get access to the word of God no matter where you are. But I also want to challenge you, church. I I want you to hear me loud and clear. A paper Bible is still of more value than the app on your phone. Amen. I know I'm talking to a digital age, and people are like, I don't even believe in paper. Well, you should. Amen. I didn't ask you to go find papyrus. I'm asking you to just use a paper Bible, and here's why. A paper Bible, over time, accumulates your notes, thoughts, musings, and questions Because the Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, living and active, it is meant to bring life, and when it says something to you, that something takes root. And here's the best part. You'll resonate with this if you've ever spent time in your word. When you read something one day and then return to it another, it means more, deeper, something new. Amen. And I want to encourage you that if you don't have a paper Bible, to get a paper Bible and begin to write in it. I know you grew up. And they said, don't write in the books. I'm telling you, mark up your book. It should be dog-eared and wrinkled, water stains. I got coffee all over it. That's how I know it was a good Bible study. And what I want you to know is that the more that you write in it, the more God talks to you through it. This Bible is full of written words. This is the Beacon Bible, actually. This Bible's not mine. This Bible was given to me by another church planter before we started this church. And it it has it has Beacon written on it. We prayed over this Bible before we ever launched our church and members of our launch team week by week in the six months leading up to the launch of our church, took this Bible home individually and began to study this Bible on their own and mark it up with their favorite passages, their favorite prayers, the deepest parts of the Bible that spoke to them. And so on the day that we launched this church, this Bible was given back to me and it already had the thoughts and prayers and dreams of so many of us. And every time a preacher preaches in this church, not just me, but every time a guest preacher preaches or when Pastor Ty preaches or the day when Pastor Josh preaches, all messages are preached from this Bible. Now, that may not matter to you, but it matters to me. And here's why. You know that no matter what's spoken from this pulpit comes from the same God through the same word without dilution or pollution, misinterpretation, or, hear me, foolishness. Amen. Now, I love a good iPad. Amen. But this is the word that has all power. And I want you to have one of these in your back pocket. Everywhere I go, there's a Bible with me. And people are like, you a Bible thumper? And I'm like this. (laughs) You bet your butt. Amen. All right, that's enough of a rant. You have your Bible, open it up to Galatians. We're going to continue this study in the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatea. Today, we're picking up with our 11th teaching in this series, a series about maturity, a series about growth, a series studying Paul's letter to a church whom he loves, who's essentially shaking to say, grow up. And today, we're going to pick up in chapter four, and originally, we were going to read Verses 8 through 20, but I'm I'm not going to do that today. Today, we're just going to read verses 8 through 14. I'm going to save the final six verses of this for another time, which will totally mess up our preaching calendar. And Christina is going to be like, really? For real, Pastor? We just keep making more work? Amen. Yes. We're going to read verses... 8 through 14 today, because I believe these verses are really kind of packed in together. So if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, it reads like this. "Formerly, when you did not know God and were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods, but now, now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. The title of our message today is is Bold Humility and Old Habits. Today, we're going to talk about your habits. Amen? And we're going to talk about the only way to break you out of the habits that have you bound. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. God, I'm asking that you would open our hearts as you open the text you speak afresh to us. God, remove me from the equation that we might hear from you and see you and be convicted by you. Help me to preach with Pentecost power, a revelatory understanding of your word that might change us forever. And God, we cast out every demon in this room who must be unlike you, and we declare, Holy Spirit, you're in control. All that agreed, said "Amen." amen. Amen. All right, big idea today, if you're taking notes or if you still have your workbooks, Uh, from, from this study, the big idea is this. Your sin problem, I want you to think about it, the thing that you struggle with, your sin problem, you know the one thing, you know the thing, you know the thing. That sin problem is actually not a willpower problem. Your sin problem is a pride problem. I want you to hear me loud and clear because we we touched on this last week. I'm going to seal it up and then push us out of that understanding about our relationship to sin. You heard me last week say, for those who are in Christ, those who have been born again, we are no longer slaves to sin, but have now the Holy Spirit who dwells within us who gives us power over sin it means this that now once you've said yes to jesus you actually get a choice in the matter amen before you had jesus and for those of you who don't yet have jesus don't have your trust in him aren't completely sold out for christ you don't really have a choice you find yourself in relationship to sin that looks like this well i did it again and i don't know how that happened that's when paul writes about this he says before you even knew him you were a slave amen But once you have Jesus, you're no longer a slave. You're a son, and sons and daughters have authority. Sons and daughters have inheritance. Sons and daughters have a father who makes a way. And so in your relationship to sin, you finally have power. So the thing that you still struggle with, even though you're a Christian, even though you're sold out, even though you love God with your whole heart and you continue to walk into, it's not because you lack willpower, not because you lack ability, not because you lack agency to fight it, resist it, or flee from it. It's because you choose it. (laughs) You're like, I just got here. No. I'm a first timer. Where's my gift bag? (laughs) Welcome to Beacon. We preach truth. Because the truth shall set you. Amen. Here's the deal. The sin that you struggle with when you love Jesus is not stronger than the Jesus you love. It's just that sometimes it's more appealing, and so you choose it over Jesus. And that's called pride. That's you saying, love your ideas, super cute. I have better plans. Amen? That's what it looks like from his perspective when you and I, knowing what God wants for our life, choose things that he doesn't want for our life. To God, it doesn't look like, oh, oops, again, it looks like this. I know better, and I'm going to do it my way. Now, let, let's talk about habits for a second because I'm just going to push it. It got real quiet in here, Travis. You sensed that? It was just like, for real, dude, can we do some fun stuff today? All right, listen, let's talk about your habits for a second because I think it's important that we identify kind of what we're talking about. Most of us who struggle with sin struggle with habitual sin. Amen? It's something that just kind of happens over and over again. And here's what you need to understand about habits. Habits are defined as consistent behaviors... That are hard to break without consistent effort that subconsciously begin to define who we are. I'll say it again. Habits are consistent behaviors that are hard to break without consistent effort that subconsciously define who we are. What that means is this. Habits don't just fade away. Amen? Habits must be broken by working against them. Now, maybe you've heard this before, but a habit takes 21 days to make or break. Have you ever heard this before? 21 days of consistent effort to either start a brand new habit or break an old habit. That's why when I meet people... And they're in early recovery. I'm like, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm fantastic. I think I'm totally free. I've got seven hours free and I am just killing it. And I'm like, whoa, we got so much work to do. Here's the deal the things that have gotten a hold of your life that make it so that you just feel like you're kind of stuck in it, you're in that habit, those things have begun to take root in your brain. For anybody in addiction, you'll come to understand that the habit of addiction, which is actually the disease of addiction, the part of the brain that it hijacks is called the brain stem. The brain stem is the back of your brain, exactly as it sounds, and it's the part of the brain that's in charge of instinct, meaning breathing, drinking, and eating. That's why for so many of us who are on the outside of addiction looking in, wonder why can't they just quit, it would be like saying, why can't you just hold your breath for the rest of your life? It sounds absurd and downright terrifying. And that's how habits work. They begin to hijack your brain in such a fashion that the behavior is no longer thought about. It's unconscious and even instinctual. And so in order to break it, we've got to step up consciously and break off, instinctual behavior with a cognizant mindset of the sin itself and the alternative, which is trusting God for that thing. Now, I'm getting a little heady for you, but let me just break it down, okay? You right now have a habit. Some of you are super holy and you're like, no, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Now, you're thinking about your habit in light of someone else's habit because some of you are smokers, amen, and you're like, nope, I'm a vapor. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. You just smell like strawberries. That's it. <laughs> or mango. I'm like, Good grief, man. Some of you have a habit. All of you have a habit. And right now that habit, whether you like it or not, defines you to us. Hear me. When I talk about smokers, you think of them as smokers. You ever meet somebody that smokes? Right. We have some smokers in the house. I love you. You're my favorite. But you're a smoker. That doesn't negate my affection for you, but one of the ways that you are identified to non-smokers is as a smoker. Hear me, right? All right, let me flip it. Some of you like to cuss. No big deal. Have you ever seen the T-shirt that says, I'm a Christian who likes to cuss? Oh, No. Don't wear that. Right? It's like, I'm a Christian who likes to rob. No, they're both bad. That's not, you can't, Uh uh-uh. Some of you have a foul mouth. You're like a sailor. Not on Sundays, but other days, you sound like you are a pirate. Amen? Amen? which may not seem like a big deal to you because if you've always cursed, it's just part of who you are. And you define yourself as all of the myriad ways in which you live your life outside of cursing. But for people who don't curse or cuss, guess what you are? You're a cusser. cusser. Because when you say the words we would never say, we're like, ugh, grief. (laughs) Here's the deal. Your habits actually define you to people who don't share those habits. When you're a liar... People who are honest only see you as a liar. When you're late <laughs> All the people on my service team, all my deacons and team members are like, "Oh, don't talk about it." For those of us who are never late, all you are is late. I love you. But where have you been? I saw this comedian one time say, it's so easy to be on time, so easy. Do you know why? Because on time lasts forever. All you have to do is be early. If you're early, you're automatically on time, amen? I believe that 15 minutes early is, we're not preaching, let's go. I'm talking about my own thing. Here's the deal. The things that you struggle with, your habits, even the ones that you think you're hiding, become identifying markers to people who don't suffer with those habits. And that's bad for you, amen? Because God wants to open so many doors for you. And he wants to use people around you to do that. And we people are fickle. And so when there's someone in your life who doesn't suffer from your habit, only sees your habit, is tempted to close the door's Be because of your habit. You all with me? And so you you have to break out of the habits of your life that are unlike God. You say, well, what about good habits? Good habits are great. I'm a Bible reader. Fantastic. I love to pray. I love it. I pray out loud. Cool. Don't do it on the street all the time. There are wonderful habits that you and I should get into, but most of us don't have the bandwidth because we're stuck in the other habits. You with me? And so let's just say this. Old habits are hard to break. And so Paul is writing to this church to write exactly about this conversation. He's noticed that the people whom he loves have fallen back into habits that are redefining them and hindering them as they walk with Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 8. He says, formerly when you didn't know God, before I introduced you to Jesus, when you were just dirty dog sinners, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. He's talking about the powers and principalities of the air, the divine and and dastardly assignments on your life to struggle with sin and die in it. Amen? He says, before you knew Jesus, you were a slave to that, hooked on the drug of sin. And then in verse 9, he says, but now, well, now you've come to know God. Or better yet, I should just say, now that he's come to know you, you've gone right back into a habitual behavior. He's talking to every one of us here today, said the sinner's prayer. And then the next day found ourselves living like a sinner in need of prayer. He's talking to every one of us here today that has had a real transformative encounter with God, be it through a time of prayer, be it through a message, be it through a song, be it through a moment where we just sense God is real, he's for me, Jesus is alive, and I need him. And then all of that experience dashed away by the life that we lead. He's writing to us to say, I know you know him, and I know he knows you. So where are you? That's the call to the church today. He writes this some 2,000 years ago to the churches in southern Galatea, churches that he planted on his first missionary mission in Acts 14 and 15, people in Macedonia whom he didn't even mean to go see, whom he loves and whom he adores, and whom he saw grow in the knowledge of Christ and surrender and submission to his will, and he walks back into the room and they look totally different. He says, what happened to you? Where have you been? Is the world so beautiful? Why do you keep struggling with this? Same habits. Now, Paul writes much meaner than I'm going to preach. He's writing to them from a place of frustration. We'll talk about that when we pick up verse 15 through 20 at a later time. But he's writing from the place of godly desperation for people whom he loves. And he says this When you were in the world, you were a slave to sin. And then you met Jesus and were set free. And now you live again like a slave, but you do it th- through religion. Remember that the churches in Galatea were plagued by a group of people called the Judaizers who were encouraging, yes, Jesus, and. They said, you can believe in Jesus, but you must be circumcised. You can believe in Jesus, but you must follow dietary restrictions. You can believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these things. And the church was was bamboozled into believing that Jesus was good and they also had to do something. And Paul is frustrated because that's just plain simply not the gospel. The gospel says it's not that you do anything, it's that Jesus did it all. And he says, I don't get it. Why do y'all keep taking the reins out of Jesus' hands and, and taking control? And I might ask you the same question in the areas of your life right now where you've asked the Lord to take the lead, and he didn't do it on the perfect time, and you've taken the reins back. I'll ask you plain, do you really think that you're going to be better at this than God? Now, when I ask it like that in a church setting, cognitively, you can say, of course not. No, I know God's greater than me. I know that he's in control. I know that he's wonderful and loves me and has all power to save and power to heal and power to deliver. But if you're being honest with yourself, so many of us today have taken the reins and essentially said to God, I got this. You should take a break. You're not good at helping me. Paul goes on and he says in verse 10, you're observing the days and the weeks, the months, and the years. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul is talking about the the Jewish holiday calendar. He's talking to these people who have not only been fooled by falling back into the mentality that checks boxes, the mentality that believes that religion and what we do will get us into heaven. He says, I'm not just talking about no heart change, but behavior modification. That's all wrong. He says, but you know what I'm noticing about you as you've struggled with this religion thing again, is not only are you just jumping through hoops, but now you're celebrating that you jump through hoops. You have to understand that the the Jewish culture uh, had developed a whole beautiful calendar of celebration. There was the festival of weeks, the festival of booths, the Passover, and each one of them was meant to be a marker for the community and the culture to celebrate what God had been. They had been cultural, sacred moments where people, by observing them, felt as though they grew closer to God through the ritual and the behavior. And Paul came to preach that you can celebrate God anytime. You don't have to wait till Thursday at 3 p.m. He'll be here. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. No, guess what? The Holy Spirit is here. And where is he? Here. Paul's writing and saying, I just don't get it. I mean, I, really, I, I literally preached to you a gospel that changes everything. Jesus came, fixed it all. Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are literally living with God inside of you. And you have power to do anything. And y'all are waiting for next Tuesday's party to see if God will show up. It sounds silly, doesn't it? Except that that's how many Christians live today. I preach the same gospel that Paul preached. He's living and active, but he lives in you. And some of you go to church like this. I can't wait to see if God's there today. Oh, I hope that worship team's got a good song. I hope it's not too loud. Oftentimes, we think that God resides in a place or a time. Sunday's holy. Church is holy. I'm going to go so I can encounter holy. That's half the reason we planted the church in the Bluebird Theater. Come here on Tuesday night when there's a show. You will not be fooled into thinking this place is holy. <laughs> Y'all with me? We put it in an unholy place. So that you would know it's not the place that's holy. The Bible says that we are living sacrifices, sanctuaries in whom God dwells. So if you're looking to go to a place where God lives, look in the mirror, baby. Right? He's writing to us today to say the very same thing. You all are celebrating a system that's dead. When I put the true and living God inside of you, and now you have something to celebrate. Here's the interesting part about this. Is Paul's so frustrated about the celebrations, the festivals, and the, the things in which they've fallen into because it indicates that they're pleased about the system itself. He's frustrated, not just that they've stumbled into some of the the religious practice, he's frustrated that they think the religious practice is worth celebrating. He's frustrated that when they took agency, that they then said, now this is good. And this is a perfect picture of what sin looks like. Sin and the history of the world has always been when we, the people here on earth, take a thing that God has not called good and then call it good. Y'all with me? Remember that when Eve was in the garden, God said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but everything else you can eat. And then the serpent showed up and said, did God really say? He began to get her to question. And part of what God does is, is to offer this beautiful, pulpery, wonderful opportunity to live in the fullness, but invite the people to live in obedience around One issue. One issue. One thing. Everything else is there, but one thing God says, just reserve that from me. And the enemy, the serpent, shows up to get her to ask questions. And by the end of the conversation with the serpent, Eve says, I perceive that this is good. She's begun not to sin in the eating, but sin in the thinking The moment that Eve begins to think that a thing that God called not good for her is actually good for her, she's taking the reins from him and living in, first, the sin of pride. Amen. Y'all with me? And so this is what Paul is writing about to the church. He says, I'm not just frustrated that y'all are missing out on the beauty that comes from living with Jesus. I'm actually more frustrated that you guys are clapping and dancing and loving the fact that you're stuck in religion, you fools. Uh, he He says this. I'm afraid. Maybe I labored over you in vain. Oh, what devastating words to hear from a pastor. To write to people whom he loves and says, I don't, I don't think you're going to get it, are you? He says, I... I don't know what else I, I can do. I have shown you everything that there is, and you, you keep walking backwards. And the reason is, is not that they don't believe that Jesus is good, not that they don't believe that Paul's teaching was good for them. It's, it's that the truth of the matter is, is that the, the, it, it feels better to be in control I want you to think about your own walk with Christ right now. I don't know where you are, but which one sounds more appealing? You making all the decisions and it working? Or you trusting the invisible God to work it out when he wants to? I mean, this is really the gospel. It's much easier to just take the reins. It doesn't always work, amen, but it's easier to be in charge of your own life. The gospel is a call to not being in charge of your own life and to truly letting the Lord lead, even when it means like you feel like he's leading you down the wrong road. And so the truth of the matter is, is that this church isn't just struggling with religion. This church is struggling with the desire to be in control, a desire to be in the lead. Could I say it? Like a desire to just be their own gods. And that's what sin is really about. It's it's about the fact that the things that you suffer from, they don't have a hold on you. You've just been grasping for them because they feel better than you. Let me talk right now to real sin. There are men in this room who are suffering from pornography addiction. Amen. Here's how I know. Because Pew Research did a study, and 61% of American men admit to a pornography addiction. 61. That's a majority. They surveyed Christian men, 74%. The church has a bigger problem with pornography than the world does. Do you know what the statistics are for pastors? 86%. 86% of men who are called to lead from the front are addicted to pornography. Why? Because it feels good. That's why. That's why we choose sin. Because it's immediate pleasure. It's immediate gratification. It costs nothing and it rewards instantly. That's why we choose sin. Sin doesn't have a hold on you. The internet doesn't turn itself on. We choose these things. Now, fellas, I beat up on you. Ladies, let's talk about gossip for a second. Done. <laughs> That's all the ladies are like, yup, guilty. Let's talk about the curses on us as Christians. The truth is, they're not curses we don't have power on. They're curses we continue to take a hold of and go, yes, this is good. And so when Paul's writing to a church who was once enslaved to sin but is now enslaved to religion, he's talking to the same spirit. I think you all are stuck in the same thing. He says, this is pride at its core, and you continue to push away from the good and loving God to be your own God. Y'all with me? And Paul says, I'm here because I love you. And there's a different way. There is a different way to live your life. A different way to walk. A different way to become who God's called you to be. Paul says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I first preached to you. And though my condition was a trial, you didn't scorn or despise me. You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Paul is writing them to say it's bold humility that will break you out of the bad habits in your life. He is saying, I need you to understand I've got the solution to get you out of this stuff that's got you trapped. You think you're trapped. You're not trapped. You've trapped yourself, and I have the key. Y'all ready for this? This is what Paul's writing. Paul's writing. Now, I love Paul because he's mean, amen. But he's mean because he loves, amen, like a good father. He's tough but compassionate. And Paul says this phrase here that he often says throughout the Gospels. He says, brothers, I entreat you to just be like me. (laughs) Wouldn't it be weird if on a Sunday I was like, church, solutions. You ready? Y'all just pretend to be like me. You got this. Wouldn't that feel like hubris? Wouldn't that feel like the height of spiritual pride? And yet when Paul writes it, it's not pride. Here's what Paul writes. He says, brothers, I see you stuck in your pride, thinking you have a better way. You should be like me. And as he says that first line, Anyone who's encountered the gospel through Paul would have come to understand this is the same Paul, teacher of teachers, Pharisee of Pharisees, the main persecutor of the church, the primary killer of Christians, a man so zealous for Jewish law that Jesus had to show up in in lightning in a dream and blind him. That's how strong he was. When Paul says you should be like me, he's not speaking of his own piety. He's not saying, look at how much I got it together. He said, y'all should be like me broken down by the power of Jesus Christ. He says, y'all should, you should fail. <laughs> I got invited to speak at a conference one time, a secular conference, which I have no idea why they would ever invite me. I don't know anything other than Jesus. Amen. And, and, and there was all, the, it was all these roughnecks. It was in the mountain. And, and it, was, it was all these different people from spheres of life, this professional skateboarder and, and this hotelier and these two famous punk rock musicians, and then, and, then, and then old Bible Thumper himself. And I said, I'm so excited. There's just all these people, real thought leaders in the space. And I said to my friend who organized it, I said, I'm so excited to be here and to learn. And he said, you're not learning, you're speaking on Friday night. And I was like, are we doing this? Are we doing an altar call here? And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. He said, I want you to I want you to tell them what you know, but don't do all the Jesus stuff. And I was like, this is going to get wild. But I respected him because I love him and he's a brother. And I spoke at this conference to this room full of people who are far from God. And, and there was a speaker on Wednesday and a speaker on Thursday, and so I kind of knew the tone. And much of it was like how to, how to actualize, you know, this term. Or, how to manifest, (laughs) how to find your spirit animal, and harness the wind of the universe, or whatever. And my title of my talking was I Hope You Fail. I kid you not. I walked up there and I said, Gentlemen, ladies, I hope you fail. I hope you fail miserably at the thing that you're going after. I hope that the person that you think you are and the facade that you put on and the story you tell yourself and the big show and grandiosity that you make of who you are, all the boss baby figures and the stupid things that you want people to pretend to believe about you, I hope it's all dashed and broken. I hope your heart is broken. I hope you become desperate and suffer from the crisis of self so that you might call out to a God who's bigger than you who can make you who he's called you to be. And I finished. And the room was silent. And I looked over at my friend. <laughs> and I just wanted to know I wanted him to know I loved him because I knew we were never gonna talk again. You know what I mean? I like, <laughs> Stone faced. We go to bed that night. My roommate, we shared rooms. He's a multinational tattoo shop owner. And he goes, bro, and he used a bunch of bad words. He said, that is the most powerful thing I'd ever heard. Where did you get that? (laughs) Sit down. I got some talking to do. Here's what I know. This journey of loosing yourself from pride and being broken so that you might be open that the love of Jesus might find resonance in you, it resonates with everyone, even those who hate the name of Jesus. I got testimony after testimony of people who were like, "So what? Because here's when we showed up, no one was allowed to say what they did until end. And people said to my friend, "What does he do?" And he said, "Well, what do you think he does?" And they're like, "He must be a pastor." And everybody was like, we got to go to that church. Here's why. Because this world has nothing to offer you. And all of the success and glory and glitz and glamour, it will never fulfill you. You can reach the pinnacle of all that this has and you will still be empty and broken and lost and yearning for something that fills the hole that is uniquely made for Jesus alone. And Paul says, brothers, I wish you were like me, not perfect, but shattered, humbled, deeply in love with a God who loves me more than I love me. You have to understand Paul never meant to come here. Paul was on his way to plant other churches when he got sick. Acts 14 and 15 tells us a story about how Paul essentially arrives in the southern part of Macedonia, what's known as Galatea, and how he begins to plant those churches because he's sick. And he says, brothers, you knew that was the case when I came the first time. He says, I was, I was just like you. See, you were broken and trapped in sin and religion, and I was broken and trapped in my afflictions I was just like you and you were just like me and you didn't scorn me or reject me. What's interesting is you loved me, you embraced me. He's trying to paint a picture to them to say, notice that when I arrived for the first time, there was no posturing. I didn't pretend I was something great. I I limped into this church of yours, wounded and worried. I wasn't even sure if y'all would welcome me, but you were kind because you saw that I was in need. Paul is writing to a group of people who are trapped in pride to say it was humility that bound us together. So why is pride the defining part of your life again? I mean... When most of us walk into church for the first time after a long time, you know what brings us? It's, it's pain. Am I right? It's heartache. It's loss. It's grief. And that's the posture that makes it so that we're open enough to receive God as he chooses to pour himself out upon us. You see, you can walk into a church and think you have it all together and leave unchanged. But it's when you walk in going, okay, (laughs) something's got to change. That's when God says, great, guess what we'll start with? And Paul's writing to a church to say, it's this kind of humility where I walked in as a broken man, a humbled man, and you saw that and embraced me, and God got glory amongst us. This is the same spirit that you all need if you really want to get out of this trap of the habits that have you today. Five minutes left, Ben, y'all can come up. And this is it, just these two points talking about pride and humility. And I want to leave you with a question today. But not without speaking on culture. Today, today is pride. Today, the, the city is bathed in a flag that they call pride. And so we preach humility. I, I didn't schedule this. this. This was originally, this message was originally slated for early April. <laughs> but Somehow God organized it that this is the message we preach today. And I want you to understand this. That, that flag that's on every flower box and street corner and vehicle, that is, ready? Hear me. That's not their flag. That's our flag. That flag doesn't mean pride. That flag means mercy. That flag means love. That flag means hope. That flag is a picture of the promise made by a God who loves us in spite of our pride to never again pour out judgment upon us in the same manner. And the invitation is that if my people who were called by my name would humble themselves, then I would hear from heaven and answer their cries. We do church in the heart of a city that is far from God, that mocks God, and revels in the sin of pride. And we're not leaving We won't retreat because this city is a city on a hill, and those hills always belong to God. But the only way that we break the habits of pride and the habits of sin and the habits of the arrogance that fights against God in all of his ways is to be a people who are bold in humility. This is the only way. You will not love them or change them through argument or ridicule. You will love and change the world around you by being a humble and submitted servant to a God who is greater than you. That's the only way that this works. Now, I'll preach truth, amen. And then we'll live it out. Last thing, don't think this is just my job. You are the church. You are the light of the world, the city on a hill. And it is your job to shine his light through your life, to change culture. But you cannot do it if you are trapped in the same pride and the same affection for sin as the world itself. So right now, I want you to think about the habit. The habit in your life, this thing. The thing that the first time I mentioned it, you knew exactly what it was. This thing that maybe people know about or maybe they don't. It's got you. It's got you. It won't let go of you. You feel stuck. You feel ashamed. You feel burdened. You feel confused. If God can do all that, why can't he do this? You have it? Okay. Paul says there's a solution. Oh, you're not going to like it. The only way we abolish the spirit of pride is through humility. And humility comes when we humble ourselves before our God and our brothers and sisters. Now, we're going to pray a prayer and ask him to lift that pride off of our life, that habit off our life, that thing we keep choosing. And... I'm gonna ask you to share it with someone here today. This is the hard part. It's easy to pray a prayer, isn't it? But it's so much harder to just be honest. And say, this is where I'm at, this is how I'm stuck, this is, I don't know what else to do. I've asked the Lord to take it, but if I don't share it with you, I'm going to hold on to it forever. This is what we're doing here today, okay? Now, I'm not telling you who to share it with, but before you leave today, I want you to find somebody you love, find somebody with a smile, find somebody who loves the Lord to tell them, this is what I gave to Jesus today. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we love you. There are these habits, God. These things that we've chosen, and they feel like they've got a hold of us. They've come to define us. Frankly, they've defined us to other people. And for some of us, they've defined us to ourselves. It's like we see ourselves as trapped by this. And Father, today, we know that that's us choosing our ways over your ways. And we are unwilling to do that anymore. It's proven to be ineffective. It's proven to alienate us from your your love. And so, Father, today, we lay that habit down. We lay those choices down at your altar. Those addictions, those fears, those worries, those simple pleasures, those things that we know aren't for us. God, we lay them down at the altar of your throne boldly before you in grace. And we say, God, take this away from us. We're powerless. We're powerless. We're powerless and we need your power over it in Jesus' name. We're ready to take the choice that you give us to choose righteousness over evil. And God, today... We know full well that you are able to make a way. In fact, right now, by the power of the blood of Jesus, in this room we declare ourselves set free. Free from addiction. Free from habit. Free from pride. And all that agreed, said amen. Amen. Before you stand, we're going to do one more song of worship. Don't let a minute go by. Don't miss today without grabbing someone by the hand and saying, can I share this with you? Hear me, you're in the right room. No one here is going to judge you. In fact, I guarantee as soon as you share, (laughs) it's all coming out on the other side, amen? This is how we do it together. Stand to your feet, let's worship.